Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with my buddy Peter Rollins, who is coming at us live from Belfast, Ireland, as I talk to you from Los Angeles, California. And because you know us as those guys who are always on the cutting edge of pop culture topics as they are happening, we are here to talk about a movie that came out way earlier in the year called Barbie, folks. Uh, you may have heard something about it. It's become one of the highest grossing films in North America ever. It has surpassed the Avengers. It's made over a billion dollars, and it is uh, who hasn't seen Barbie and it has ignited a cultural conversation and so we thought we would add to that by exploring perhaps a philosophical psychoanalytic perspective on it uh as far as I know I guess and so Pete this is gonna be an episode it's gonna be heavy folks it's gonna be compensatory toward the lightness and brightness of Barbie a movie I happen to very much love and Pete is gonna walk us through various forms of uh, uh I believe hysteria ways of understanding it what it is how it's exemplified in that film and um as long as he doesn't say anything mean about um margot robbie or ryan gosling especially i think we'll have a really good time pete how you doing i'm doing good that was lovely um thank you yeah i um i didn't see barbie for a long time i just didn't take an interest and thought no not really my kind of thing and i kind of eventually was cajoled by a number of friends are saying this is a cultural event you know this is creating a yeah. cultural conversation and um you i would love to they were even said i'd love you to see it and then comment on it and so i finally did the other day and i was very intrigued by its central premise and thought it would be really fun to explore um as you say from like a you know philosophical and psychoanalytic kind of angle Great. So, yeah. So I, what I was just sharing with Elliot before we went live, because uh, this was my choice for topic, is I was going to say that I was wanted to kind of build a few theoretical concepts, uh, look at neurosis, um, particularly uh, obsession and hysteria, what those terms mean and what they look like. Then I wanted to look at this idea of we are all hysterics. Um, and then from there, the third building block uh, is what's called the hysterics discourse and why the hysterics discourse is potentially emancipatory. And then connect that all, if anyone's lasted in four hours time, to connect that <laughs> concretely with the Barbie movie. So that's that's the plan. Elliot, are you up for that? <laughs> I don't Are you know, already man. asleep? It looks like you've already yeah. just you've just nodded off there. I like I was just I gotta write this down because you're I was like oh, this is gonna you're gonna say it's gonna be good it's gonna be great and I can't wait hysteria <laughs> something about something about oh, the, the universalization of hysteria then the, universal, the hysterics the, the, the discourse. discourse yeah yeah universalization and uh, whoo boy yeah um, and then Barbie. <laughs> and you didn't and we didn't even we didn't even suggest the mummy aliens uh, from mexico uh, oh yeah oh that's so, brilliant i had a friend they? over who a, a hollywood actor no less who was staying with me in belfast who was very into ufo stuff i yeah. was very interested in these mexican aliens that dropped as he was here um and you know, of course, me being a little bit more skeptical of such things was like unsure. So I don't know. Has it come out yet that it's a hoax? Not that I'm saying it is a hoax, but well, has uh, anything come out? 
Look, um, first of all, that can't not be a hoax, but this <laughs> today's the day, dude. We'll get to Barbie and or hysterics in a second, but apparently the guy who is a known hoaxer who yeah I heard that because I watched it almost live, like I got wind of it pretty quick. I was probably similar to your friend who was like, "I'm on." No one is talking about this, and I'm seeing it not quite live, but like uploaded an hour ago, kind of deal. Like hadn't been translated yet into English. I was in bed at an Airbnb. It was late at night. I was a little high, shockingly. And Mm -hmm. I was cracking up and I was like, babe, you got to get in here. This is unbelievable. And when they started literally unboxing the the, the aliens, I was like, this is this is incredible. I was like, this is this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You were watching uh, this was live. You were watching it actually as it happened. No, not not quite quite live. Yeah, Yeah. but definitely like. I was like, I was, is anyone talking about? Why is no one talking about this? And then I was like looking at it and I was like, that's so, it just didn't look, uh, it didn't look, anyway, today. Yes, it didn't, it didn't today, look like as if, if, if it wasn't fossilized, that it would work very well as a person or as a, yeah. as a, <laughs> yeah, like no joints. <laughs> and I think that's so perfect. But, uh, and three fingers is actually it. very hard to do things with. I mean, like our opposable thumbs are yeah. are largely responsible for tool making. If you got three long right. fingers, it's going to be really hard. To, right. To... So they can't walk and they can't really grab things, but they're more advanced than us. Uh, yeah. yeah. So t- anyway, today we're we're recording this on September eighteenth. So in case it comes out a little dated sounding, but the uh, the today the guy is doing a live stream where he's going to do X rays of the um of the bodies and. Uh, and prove that they are are in fact aliens. So I look. He's forward he's actually going to gonna do. He's doing or he's already done these. He's uh, going to show them. It is today. I don't know what time, but um, I want to say it's. I have no idea, but uh, yeah, he'll he'll be showing. And but people have already seen the X rays, and people are going like, it's not. That doesn't prove anything. But anyway, yeah. So uh, it's yeah. it's wonderful. So anyway, I won't take up more time. I I just wanted to throw in my. The, the the contrast between the depth of our topics is very fun. Okay. Very good. Hysteria. Well, okay, let's let's get into it. Um yeah, so I mean, and the reason why I'm interested in Eurosis is because actually without kind of going into whether I like the movie or not and some of the more cultural things, there's something very interesting about I think the core of the movie that is actually really is very, very interesting. And that's what I want to kind of hit on. That's and in order to kind of understand it, I, I think we have to start with neurosis and we have to kind of, you know, do a little bit of a tiny bit of history of this term neurosis. So I'll start here and see, you know, say you can jump in and add things and whatever as you go. Um, is neurosis traditionally uh, is one of the psychic structures, one of the ways that people uh, formulate their desire, interact with the world. And traditionally, most people will know this, there's what's called obsessional neurosis and hysterical neurosis. And hysteria, obsession was always kind of historically associated with masculinity, not with men necessarily, but with masculinity. And hysteria was associated with femininity, not exclusively, but partly. And you can kind of understand why in a sense. So if you take a very basic example of what a typical non-pathological obsessive looks like, that's somebody who 
is really into myopically interested in something like sports, for example, um, they, or, or stamp collecting or computer programming. It's somebody ufology. who ufology, exactly. And, and they know all the stats and they get really into it and they kind of like almost dedicate huge amounts of their lives to, as I say, either collecting stuff or collecting statistics or watching their football match or doing computer programming or gaming. Gaming is another one where they'll spend yeah. eight hours a day gaming. That's a kind of obsessional, you know, trait, symptom. It doesn't mean you're an obsessive if you do those things, but, you know, you, you can guess that someone maybe has an obsessional dimension to them. And then hysteria, non-pathological hysteria would look like someone who is really interested in questioning relationships. It, they enjoy... Uh, talking about, do I love my partner or not? Do I, am I interested in my job? Do I, should I go for another job? Or, or talking about other people's relationships because the, whereas the obsessive is interested in trying to control everything and put everything into a box and fill all the gaps. Um, the, the hysteric is someone who feels themselves to be divided, who feels that they are not who they say they are. So for example, if you're a teacher, but you have imposter syndrome. You're a teacher, but you think I'm not really a teacher. You know, that's the kind of, you don't feel at one with yourself. Whereas an obsessive generally will feel that they are who they are. Right. So that's yeah, okay. very basic kind of, and funnily enough, cause hysteria was such a negative, you seen as a negative term and seen as associated with biological women and all of this. Some people have tried to, uh, avoid the term or kind of get rid of the term or whatever but in french doesn't psych it originally come from hysteria doesn't originally come from like uterus or something like it has that's its, right its roots and yeah so the the yeah so yeah so it has a biological root you're absolutely right and like oh, a lot of these terms have like biological connections yeah. but then very quickly they they move beyond so especially in french psychoanalysis all of these biological things became symbolic and then kind of got freed from biology. Although, interestingly, biology is connected, and that's a really interesting question of why more men seem to be, like maybe a 70-30 ratio, obsessive, you know. Um, but, but still, it's also, and, and there's, there's really good uh, discussion around that, but that's not for today. Um, but... What, what French psychoanalysis did, and a lot of feminists actually were very uh, influenced by Lacan in this, because Lacan went the opposite way, and he said, there's a certain sense in which we're all hysterics. Hysteria is, while you might kind of initially was associated with the feminine and the female body, um, there's a certain sense in which it is true. It's truer than obsessive. The obsessive is the one who tries to hide their dividedness, right? They're always trying to collect to fit things in, where the hysteric mm -hmm. is actually someone who realizes that we're never quite who we think we are. We are divided subjects. We're subjects who love and hate, who want to be with somebody and not want to be with somebody. Like that's actually part of what it is to be human. So that's the kind of universalization of hysteria that, that you see in in psychoanalytic theory. And this brings me, we're actually going quite quickly here. We'll get to Barbie quite quick. Um, it's easy stuff, uh, you know? It's, it's like, easy stuff. It's simple. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, we're gonna be done in then, 15 minutes. 
You go, oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, well, then it, Lacan famously, uh, well, not famously, like nobody knows this, but within certain circles, famously <laughs> in, in Seminar 17, um, uh, world famous uh, Seminar 17, he, um, he outlined what's called four discourses. Um, and if anybody looks this up, you'll find it. It's like a grid with four things in it and there's like different symbols in these grids so if people look it up it won't make any sense initially and if you read a little bit it'll make even less sense for a while but you know eventually it will make sense but these are called something's like the phallus and something's the thing and then it symbols the thing with the lack of the phallus is symbolized by another thing and it looks like algebra and it turns everybody off Exactly. There you go. That was a perfect description. Yes, it's Thank very you. algebraic. <laughs> um, yes, Lacan, as he went on, put more stuff in algebra, which actually, once you understand it, makes a lot of sense because there's a, it's very precise, but it is also yeah. hard to get your head around. Um, now, he outlined what's called four discourses, and one's called the master's discourse, one's called the university discourse, one's called the analyst discourse, and yeah. one's called the hysterics discourse. Yeah, and I think we've actually talked about this on The Fundamentalist before. We talked Maybe. about it in a pool in Palm Springs. Oh, wow. Just just us? Yes. Curtis oh, I'm sorry. Too. Oh dear, did I did I subject you to a conversation about the four discourses? You weren't sober and you did. Yes. I, I, yeah, I do so. remember that. <laughs> so, I apologize. And now it's coming back to me. I apologize for what I said in return, which was, what are you talking about? <laughs> God, yeah, we were. I believe I said space. something like your hair is growing antlers or something. Because I was on my own. <laughs> it was my birthday. Um, anyway. Yes. Oh, man, that was fun. Um, yeah, so... The, the, four, the fourth discourse that, that Lacan outlines, and I'm just going to explain it very briefly, um, it's called the Asterics Discourse. And he basically thought that this came out of what was called the Analyst Discourse. So in psychoanalysis, for, you kind of go through psychoanalysis and, if, and you come out of psychoanalysis um, in a hopefully a different way, right? You come out differently. And one of the ways to describe what is on the other side of analysis is the hysterics discourse. And what this means in a nutshell is that a person embraces that they are a divided subject. They actually embrace it. In fact, they enjoy it. They, they no longer try to cover it over or hide from it, and it creates all sorts of problems. They embrace the fact that they are divided. And then from there, they're able to question the status quo. Because society and the status quo always tries to cover over our dividedness, always tries to give an answer to it, always tries to, uh, through commodity satisfaction, through psychedelics, through what is sexual liberation, whatever it is, tries to give an answer to try to get rid of this dividedness that, that we are as all hysterics. Yeah. So we're, we're able to question the status quo. And Lacan talks about this as, as you question the status quo, think of a scientist as an hysteric. A true scientist questions the status quo of the scientific orthodoxy. And they, there's an orthodoxy and they start to question it. And they question, question, question. And then out of that questioning arises new knowledge, new, dis, new kind of information is, arises from this questioning. Right? That's kind of the hysterics discourse. And... What's interesting about Barbie, which is quite good, is that 
at the beginning, you realize that Barbie land is every, every antagonism is covered over. It's just happiness and joy and there's no sadness and da, 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 right? And then, then Barbie, the main Barbie, starts to feel dis, discombobulated, right? Starts to think about yeah. death and stuff like that. Then she goes on this great quest. And when she comes back, uh, you know, the Kens have taken over, right? So the interesting thing about Kendom and, and Barbie land is there are different ways of trying to cover over antagonists and there are different ways of trying nice. to, yeah. So so in Kendom, it's basically male and female have very precise places and da 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 da, da. But, but they come back and, and the Barbies have all kind of fallen foil of this, you know, they were kind of fallen foil of Barbie land, to be honest, but now they've fallen foil of Kendom. And what the cure is, how, how they get the Barbies to wake up is to realize that they are divided subjects, that they're hysterics. So there's all these speeches of, well, you want to be a mummy, but you don't want to remind them of their mummy. You know, you, you want to be pure, but also you have to be impure. You know, you, ha you have to, you know, so they're kind yeah. of saying about all of these. And then what wakes the Barbies up is that they realize that they are divided subjects, they're hysterics. And then from that position, they then interrogate the status quo kingdom, which is hiding the antagonism that we are hiding the hysteria. They question that. That breaks it open and a new possibility arises that isn't quite old Barbie land and it's not kingdom. It's, it's a possibility for a different way of organizing society. That's quite, that. so in a way, the hysterics discourse, which is quite a complicated idea, is quite well articulated in the Barbie movie through the waking up of Barbies by the embrace, by the symbolizing of their hysteria, of their dividedness, which allows them to question radically the kingdom status quo, which then allows for the beginnings of a new type of civilization, which they don't describe. That's the beautiful thing about the end of the movie. It's not like they don't go back to yeah. Barbie land. They don't, they don't care. It's almost like, and it's, it's not even, you know, the men aren't going to be allowed to be in the Supreme Court. Like, it's almost like we're, we have to work this stuff out. Now we have, yeah. now a new form of discourse has to arise. A new form of society has to arise. And I got to say, I was suspicious about whether Barbie would be any good. That bit of Barbie impressed me. You know, I loved it. Um, yeah, I and si similar thing, because look, we're not going to I mean, no one likes to be preached at and mm -hmm. uh, said, you know, too many moralisms, especially when they're over the plate so hard that you're kind of like, OK, we get it. I felt like the way they handled basically everything in that movie was was wonderful i really want to watch it again because some of the stuff i wish i would have seen it as closer to when we were talking about this as you did because a couple things one i feel like you should discuss more the hysteric hysteric discourse hysterical discourse um because barbie leaves and she she starts having these thoughts of death she starts sensing that she's a divided subject she goes so what is it? she goes to the the real world and in doing so, she sees the, I guess, what, the damage that her sort of perfect idea of the world has caused. It's sort of not solved all the problems. And she finds that, oh, she's not, like, loved and adored by everybody. Uh, 
and I, I can't remember and then she has to escape right she has to like basically go back to run back to uh bar i don't remember exactly the details but are there more specific ways that that sequence of her going to the real world aligns with the discourse yeah that's brilliantly said because she actually initially barbie goes into the real world to try to get everything back to non-antagonism to try to so initially barbie's and it's quite funny the point where the crazy but weird barbie or whatever is is getting her to choose do you want to kind of like you know have the high heels and whatever or do you want to like you know really become well become divided and barbie's like I want the high heels. Like I want, I want to get back. Yeah, and, she, and she, yeah, and she only goes into the real world in order to get back to fix things, to get back to the way things were. Like she does not want to be a divided subject. She does not desire. That's not enjoyable for her. The enjoyment for her is the fantasy of getting back to Barbie Land. And even at one point, remember whenever she's going to get back into the box, um, which is a kind of her way of kind of going like, I just want to get everything back to the way things were but then at the very last moment is when something in her is like no that's not that's not the right way to go um and well it is it's in i because first of all that that reminds me of when people go into therapy and they do it thinking that they just want to go to therapy so they can fix everything and get back to the way things were uh when proper psychotherapy will break you down and make you feel yeah. Uh, discombobulated but um yeah. she, i it's interesting i think when she gets in that box what makes her she's back in she gets in the little toy box but then the like isn't it like the um like cuffs like the bracelets like lock yeah. her in and she feels trapped all of a sudden and she then it like dawns on her that she is like uh, she doesn't want to go back isn't that what it was like it's that moment of the like oh she's being forced to stay yes. in this and they don't, they don't quite, like, they don't, like, just as they're about to clasp, she pulls her wrists out. So they kind of, yeah, so she okay. basically, yeah, but, but you're exactly right. Like, she's right at the point where she's like, no, this is going to be claustrophobic. This is not, like, everybody wants this to go back to normal. I, that, I don't want I, that. Like, that, yeah. Poetically, I think that's really beautiful. The, the, the trapped feeling being what um, initially makes people turn away from wanting to go back to the to normal i think that's like what people go into therapy for is they feel trapped but they think it's because they they want to go back to yeah it's crazy it's good stuff yeah. good movie yes but okay oh, yeah, so back and, to yeah. the the hysterical discourse and how that because i still don't get I, you're saying hysterical discourse but is that just like is that formulated in and of itself or is that sort of what you call it when you leave and you are okay with your lack or you're okay with your 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 yeah. peace with your lack of oneness yeah like the way um the way i would say it is that that in the in the barbie land they have not been able to symbolize their dividedness they've there's and so whenever whenever margot robbie as barbie says like have you ever thought about death when everyone's mm-hmm. just freaks out like it's never been symbolized these questions and as soon as it it potentially happens everybody kind of freaks out um uh, the healthy individual, and it's something I talked about actually on my Instagram, so anybody who's seen this, I apologize for repeating myself, but um, uh, there, there's this idea that, um, you know, sometimes it's called primal agony, you know, Winnicott talks about it, but it, we've talked about it a little bit before, I think, in Fundamentalist, but where somebody might 
especially like in a relationship, they're terrified the relationship's going to end. They're just like so terrified. It's going to, they're going to walk away and it's not reasonable. It's not really connected to empiricism. It's, it's just this primal agony that they're going to leave you. Um, and that, I think one of two things is often happening there. One is either the relationship's already over, right? It's not, it's not that it's going to end. It's already over, but you haven't symbolized it. Um, like the cat going off the cliff in a yeah. cartoon, you haven't looked down. So in a sense, sometimes whenever someone goes to mediation, it's not to fix the relationship or not to end the relationship. It's to symbolize that the relationship is already over, um, which is important. And then maybe they can create a new relationship, right? But yeah. that relationship is already over. But then also very often, it's not that the relationship is over. It's that there's been something in the past like a, a loss of a parent or being sent off to boarding school and and that hasn't been symbolized and and so your fear of losing something in the present is actually because you haven't been able to symbolize the loss that was in the yeah. past so in the same way for me the barbie movie is partly about yeah her beginning to be able and the all the barbies beginning to be able to symbolize the dividedness that they are and if, because if you can't do that, you'll fall into some, you know, hedonism or whatever, like you'll fall into some trap that tries to say, you don't have to be divided. And the, and the analytic cure for a neurotic is to in, embrace and even enjoy your dividedness. There is parallels. We were talking about this briefly with, um, the sending, I sent Pete some, um, a Hillman essay, but Hillman talks about the polycentric psyche and uh, the sort of idea of recognizing that there's all these different, at any given point, you're so many different people at one time that the idea of unity is sort of um, just imaginary and it's not like healthy to constantly and stressful. And when you're walking around imagining that you're whole, you're, sn you're basically snuffing out all of the other uh, centers of the psyche but there's something very similar there where it's like when you can understand that you are made up of this lattice work of things, it's far more freeing than having to walk around and be like, I'm this person, I'm Barbie or I'm Ken or I'm whatever, because you don't yeah. know who you're going to be any second from, from the next. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It's, it's like, it's trying to, we, we tend to consciously try to overcome the antagonism, but actually the real challenge is to enjoy it. Right. So we're always trying to overcome it by the next product, the next car, the next this, the next that. But actually somehow enjoying the antagonism is is where I think real transformation happens. And again, within the Barbie movie, it's not just that they enjoy the antagonism. It's from that position, they're able to actually question the status quo. They're able to challenge the status yeah. quo and, and create something new and better. I think too there yeah cuz you can't jump straight into enjoying the antagonism or enjoying the lack of uh wholeness because you ever meet those people who pretend to do that and you know that they're not really doing it but they're kind of yes. acting like they are and they're like it's I think they're called like teenagers or something but <laughs> but like you know like when you see somebody kind of has that like I'm really deep and just like I just I just can't, I just I'm so complex like those people are like I don't know man you just seem like you want to seem complex but anyway that's the yes. point. Oh, yeah. Also, sometimes like depression is because in someone's mind, they have the fantasy that, for example, oh, I could have been with that person and and I would have been happy. So depression is you embrace your you embrace your division as in you say, I am sad, I am unhappy. 
you know, but yeah. you embrace it because in in this alternative universe, you're holding on to a fantasy that you could have been whole, you could have been complete. And actually what you need to do is you need to, through analysis, like disillusion yourself of that fantasy and realize that even if you say were with that person, it might have been good, but it would not have gotten rid of your alienation. And once you realize that, then then this kind of like emo depression can begin to lift, you know, and you can, because the whole point is to, because uh, the emo does enjoy their depression, but it's connected to a fantasy maybe of some, of, of, a, of another life that they don't have. So yeah, yeah. that's, uh, how, do, how does one embrace division and alienation even in one's fantasy life? And that's, uh, I that's a challenge. When, yeah. I used to have a crush on Grace before I married her, which is good. You want it to go in that order, um, not the yeah. opposite order these days. But um, yeah, I remember my therapist being like, it's not, you don't, it's not going to be that great. And I was like, I hear you. And then I just ignored him and, um, and, and then married her. And it turns out that, um, he was wrong and you're wrong. And I never feel, um, isolated. I'm not like those other guys. I'm actually, I feel whole and complete all the time, which is cool. And that's That's why that's a good message for us to give. (laughs) You should sell a product with that message. And can, is there something we can buy to have the same thing? Yeah. (laughs) I'm whole and complete. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll do some product. We should do products for the fundamentalists that are really, um, very funny. We could probably come up with some good, good t-shirts that say things like that. Um, so, so the neurotic, two types of neurotic, there's the, the obsessive and the hysteric according to Lacan. Is that correct? Yeah. And you know, there's, um, of course the blurred uh, lines and not being too, you know, fundamentalist about it, but. Yeah, well, although the Lacanians are quite strict about it, but but there's a third one which is um, uh, phobia. Phobia is so I, you know, each structure oh, really? in is kind of like you've got the obsessive, you've got the hysteric, and then you've got the phobic. And the phobic is, uh, yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a fuzzy one that's kind of somewhere in the middle. And then yeah, and then you with perversion, you know, the standard ones are sadism, masochism, fetishism. But there's, you know, voyeurism, exhibitionism, and then psychosis, you've got um, paranoia, schizophrenia, mania, you know, so that's your, that's your nice little gambit. <laughs> Pick uh, your poison. And, then, yeah. and they each have a discourse. So does that mean that when you're in, is the idea of like a proper Lacanian psychoanalysis that you, the analyst is actually consciously engaging with one of these discourses, understanding that they're a particular structure and then trying to give therapy according to that structure? That sounds well, very... That, um, very uh intense yes well that that is partially so the the four discourses they don't explicitly deal with uh psychosis perversion whatever but they talk about hysteria but you are right that an analyst and it's especially in the french tradition post-freudian they'll try to in the french tradition especially how to well how you talk to somebody who's psychotic is very different to how to talk to somebody yeah. who's neurotic. Yeah, and and so it, the, that's the only reason why I see it. That's why most psychoanalysts don't like the DSM because it's not about it's not about pathologizing with five hundred different you know symptoms. It's basically going yeah. like there's basic things like if someone's psychotic structure, they don't like to self question. There's very little self questioning, whereas a neurotic structure loves to self question. So. But if you yeah. question as a, a psychotic, it, it's not that it can actually be very damaging, you know. Um, so yeah, they keep in keep in mind. But the funny thing is about analysis is 
there's a certain sense in which you could say that the challenge is they want to hystericize uh, every position, right? which means yeah. you want to cultivate a curiosity in the person where they start to ask about themselves, their own unconscious, their own dividedness. So that's why I think in the four discourses, the hysterics discourses, it's a universal because whoever you are, you aren't who you are. You know, that's that's the truth, even that for a perverse us- or psychotic subject. That leads us nicely into the next thing before we get there. Is uh, discourse a play on words or is it intentionally a play on words or is it actually discourse like talking? Just curious if well, that was Lacan being clever because I like when well, they do yeah. that. He's always being clever with words. But you told me discourse has been off course, like a discourse yeah. or a discourse. Um, yeah, I mean, th- I think there is that's a great connotation to it because each of these are miscommunications as much as their communications like each of them has impossibility built into them so i think there is a good play on words there and they ultimately are about yes discourse in the widest sense of um different modes of of like different underlying structures of communication um yeah and each of them cool. are connected you start with the masters i mean this is controversial but i say that you start with the masters you go to the university and then the inverse is you go to the analysts and then to the hysterics. And um, they each describe a form of being in the world, I guess you would say. What do you mean it's controversial? And what do you mean by what you... You mean you go from those things like in order? Like you go from the... the, the uh, say, say what? The masters to the university, to the analysts, to the hysterics. Um, and what's, what do you mean by like that? Those are the discourses? Yeah, they're the four discourses. So this is what the this is like, you know, the controversial bit. Like, because in a way, we're all in all of them, and it's not necessarily like a circle or anything like that. But we're all but, God's beautiful creatures and yes, patterns. Exactly. But um, but you know, but the masters is where you start because the masters discourse, in a nutshell, is the infants. Let's let's talk about the masters discourse in terms of the child. The the masters discourse basically says that the infant encounters a prohibition right which is you can't sleep with your mother well you know you can't be with your mother you're kind of you have to you have to go out into the world and be a person you can't have private enjoyment the rest of your life so there's a prohibition and then the infant tries to interpret what that prohibition means so they generate knowledge and then there's always something missing in that knowledge which generates desire and the person who gives the order, the master who gives the no, who says you cannot, is actually a divided subject. So that's what the master's discourse is. It kind of starts everything off, starts everything off. And then all the discourses kind of like fall out from there, I would say, um, uh, in, a, in a kind of I, like. In a beautiful array, a dizzying yes. array of um, of spiritual and psychological transformation is what you meant to yes. say. Yes, perfectly. Um, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, was writing this paper on, um, about, well, I was talking about the Oedipal complex and I was talking about how Jungian and analytical psychology may in certain times need to go back to Freud because, uh, their split that they had, I think that the, the Freud Jung, classic Freud Jung split, um, tale as old as time they i think have that kind of oedipal complex where it's like the they're so uh, they don't want to go look at freud they they don't want to talk about freud and they don't want to talk about inherent drives and 
these kinds of things. And as a result, they can end up repeating the very thing that Jung did over and over again, or that Jung and Freud did. Like they repeat the wound over and over again because uh, yeah. they can't go back to the fact that they, um, like Freudian psychoanalysis has grown in so many ways. And in many ways, analytical psychology has stayed a little bit more stagnant, not in all the ways, but in some ways. And it was a fun little like, thing of being like oh yeah the oedipal complex of course the unions aren't going to be wanting to do that because i think they engage with it uh, a fair bit of time sometimes in certain areas so oh, yeah that's very that's good that's a, yeah that. that's very it's not good. a new very idea it's yeah. Not a, yeah other people talked about it. i was like oh yeah that is when you see it it was in a on this eco psychology thing and i was like oh this is like another area where it kind of pops up where it's like oh yeah that, that is a good that idea does make sense anyway let's talk about ken oh yes 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 um, so I loved him, and I love Ryan Gosling. He's just like me. What is the meme? Uh, he's literally me. And uh, I thought he did so good. Anything about his character in particular that doesn't apply or applies differently than what you're already talking about with Barbie? Because it feels like they were both doing complimentary little journeys. So I don't know if, it, if there's anything there. But what was your thoughts? Anything unique about him? Yeah, I mean... Very, he's very, it was very good, and it's and there's really interesting stuff there. And it, that's where this is where it gets a bit more messy in my head because, um, there's elements that were kind of really interesting. So, for example, courtly love was a very big theme in the movie, and courtly love is where, which is really the basis of the Western notion of love, and is that uh, there is a lady who is inaccessible. Uh, usually she's married to somebody else, a lord, and a knight who falls deeply in love with this lady and will dedicate his life to yes. achieving tasks for her uh, and for only a gaze. For oh, oh, he will slay dragons, he will fight yeah. wars, and and all he wants is. And uh, Jacqueline Miller said this beautifully uh, uh, in. Um, I think it was the beginning of television, but uh, that and all the all the knight wants in return is the mere glance from the lady, and that yeah. basically gives him life. Um, and also, the interesting thing about courtly love is, in its most extreme forms, the lady and the knight never have sex. They never have even. Is never even like a very any sexual in a sense. Everything sexual, and yet without except for sex, and. Yeah. That, and you see this within, obviously, Ken and Barbie, where they literally can't have sex. They don't have genitals. And he even says at the end, like, you know, I need the warmth of your gaze. I'm nothing without the warmth of your gaze. Um, so there's loads of really interesting things about, about courtly love. And um, this relates to all interesting notions of both love and also seromasochism and also like all yeah. sorts of interesting and things sex. come out of that. And sex, yes. Uh it uh it also reminds me of that guy in game of thrones i don't never remember his name but he turns into rocks basically he turns it gets all scaly oh, yeah. and rocky skin and he like is in love with daenerys but is always protecting her and all that stuff and yes that, yes that's an example of courtly love yeah, exactly that's a great example of courtly love yeah and courtly love is different from courtney love the ex-wife yes. of kirk yes. okay cool Just yeah. sure I, every time it. i say it my accent everybody thinks i'm saying courtney love um more courtois, as they call it more yeah. courtois um, <laughs> oh yeah that'll go yeah <laughs> say, yeah. say it the more pretentious way uh, yes. not that that's pretentious. <laughs> uh, um, yeah that's so, exactly yeah. after you please 
Oh, no, no, go ahead. Honest. Oh, who you called me. You called my bluff. I oh, no, I'll, I'll uh, jump in. I'll say I'll say yeah. something. And then, yeah. Um, the only thing I was going to say about this, because I'm very interested in this idea of a more courtois. I find it fascinating. Um, I don't know if we've ever done an episode on it, but we really should. But um, the this is one way of covering over the antagonists because one of the things that happens in courtly love is of course the the, the woman it, traditionally the lady experiences herself as the object of desire and the male sees her as the object of desire and this it covers over uh this covers over self-division you know because the, the woman who's who is kind of the one who will be sacrificed for completely it, that keeps that can feel amazing that you can feel divine it feels so powerful it's very sexual it's very powerful and and that's what that's what barbie has in barbie land is you know, all the cans desire um potentially is what fuels the non-antagonism of barbie land is that you know all these men who kind of like just live to be seen by by yep. Barbie, and although it does say like Barbie doesn't need Ken, but Ken needs Barbie. But there is a way of seeing this as courtly love, which is the whole reason why a, 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 the woman can't like you know. So the stereotypical idea that a woman to, to look beautiful takes a lot of work, takes a lot of money to you know do your hair and clothes and makeup, but also women have the pressure of make, having to make it look effortless. So the fantasy yeah. is. I look like this and I don't need your gaze. I have, and yet the, 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 the truth is, of course, the gaze does fuel this idea that I just, I just look like this and I go through the world without you. So courtly love is, you could say that the, the cans are desire factories. So the, the, the woman, Barbie kind of creates desires within Ken and and then they enjoy consuming that desire and that that covers over the dividedness and so again what Barbie has to do is is encounter which is very traumatic is the fact that courtly love while it's very intoxicating it's a lot of fun um ultimately you still have to realize that you're divided that you are that you are you know and that again is an interesting i think um it's like it's it's the idea that the toughest thing is to embrace normality the toughest thing is to embrace finitude that but also that's where real relationships and real life begins it's one of my um gripes with heaven and i'll fill out a comment card when i inevitably get there but mm -hmm. uh the idea of an eternal uh life um you know just seems so so tiring um and it yeah. seems exhausting and there seems like to devalue everything um everything else which isn't isn't good the scene that i was thinking of pete when you were bringing this up was the potentially my favorite scene of the movie when they are playing the matchbox 20 song push uh all to their separate barbies and doing what guys love to do which is play guitar on the beach and it is <laughs> okay. uh, I, it's my fate i love it so much and i can't play guitar but i always look to dudes who can my dad can my brother can and i'm always like i'm not good enough because i can't sing and i can't play guitar and i'm not musical in any way 
but I mm-hmm. fantasize about being good at music all the time in my car. And when I'm listening, anytime I'm listening to music, I'm usually fantasizing about being somehow being a part of it and playing it. And that people thinking I'm cool and talented as a result. And so that's part of that kind of, I'm a dude, but I'm not as, I'm not fully like a real dude. Cause I don't play guitar on the beach. And then seeing that weaponized or seeing the silliness of it, um, front and center and also just revealing how simple and goofy it is to want a girl to just sit and stare at you while you sing to them i think was one of the better uh parts of the movie. <laughs> i loved it yeah right. that's true it's like it's it's always so difficult because like a lot of you know a lot of this is we're all pathetic deep down i mean but that's kind of an yeah. expression of courtly <laughs> love in the sense of like you know the guy wants to you know, show off that, you know, the, the, the amount of effort and time that it requires to be good at a guitar. So it's, it's more that, like, it's not the song. It's going yeah. like, it took me, you know, 10,000 hours to be this good. So it's kind of like, it's, it's technically, technically, it's like um, the gift is the sacrifice the amount of sacrifice to be this guy. And then, and I'm giving yeah. you that sacrifice. And then the woman kind of accepting the sacrifice, but, um, and it's yeah so there's yeah it's, it's a complicated thing because there's also this this real silliness and pathetic but it gets to the heart of even in i've seen some animal documentaries where they talk about this where you where animals will give gifts some like insects or whatever that are just like balls of mud they're nothing but like you know we give gifts that are nothing like flowers or in a sense the the least utilitarian thing like you know the way they make jokes about um whenever you're at the start of the relationship, you buy maybe lingerie and flowers and stuff, which are basically non-utilitarian. And then after you've been going out with somebody for a lot of years, you buy dishcloths and, you know, a washing yeah. machine, right? So there's, but there's something about um, the non-utility that in, in one sense, you want to give a gift that has no utility at all and yet shows a massive amount of sacrifice. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so supposedly funny. that's a yeah that, that that's part of courtly love anyway but it, it did send that up and it's kind of good to send courtly love up it's very intoxicating but actually potentially um it's it's only when you over will get beyond courtly love that you can actually have a real relationship you know like it's yeah so i think sending it up that scene that you like is almost it's a send up of that which is 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 part of again the maybe the beauty of the movie it's like they get to something better at the end yeah. or even potentially better they don't really show it so they don't get something better yeah. better yeah yeah it's a possibility of something beyond courtly love um even yeah because I, f- I forget the final like moment when she is walking um into the real world or something but i don't remember there was something about it that surprised me what does she do she she walks in she starts talking about her was it a period or was it something gynecologist about... she goes to her gynecologist. gynecologist okay yeah um well, whatever, won't go into that, but um, I don't know. We won't. Yeah. I don't want to get into the psychoanalysis of gynecology. Oh yeah, but I mean that. Guys, but that's a really you talk about perverse structures. <laughs> what going into gynecology or no, gynecologist? The vagina. Okay. Yes. Nasty. Well, <laughs> uh, that that was. I mean, yeah. What did you think about that last thing? Because it, it's in like that was obviously quite insightful as well like it's almost like now she's human like that said like yeah. she's not she's just not human. on the yeah, pedestal she's not sublimated now she is a woman yeah, yeah. at that point it could they could have done anything i was so overjoyed by the all and honestly relieved because there is something about going to see movies like that like we were talking about where you're like don't don't 
like let's be fun this is supposed to be fun and they tit that on the head my favorite part was when michael Sarah talks about man when these guys figure out how to build a wall to the side and not just upward we're going to be in big trouble do you remember that and they're, it cuts to them, and they're just stacking a brick wall directly upwards. So it's just one column. He's oh, like, that's right. When they figure out how to build that wall sideways. Oh, boy. Oh, man. I was like, that guy's killing it. Michael said, <laughs> treasure. Uh, if you were not an, into analyt- or, um, continental f- philosophy, but were instead into analytical philosophy. <clears throat> so say, hypothetically, we call this the philosophy of Barbie, right? And the the title of the podcast leads one to believe that you're going to talk about the philosophy. Is there any, <clears throat> what would be the, can you imagine being the other kind of philosopher and what their take would be? Would it, would they have one? Because it's like, would it just be like, this is an example of what Aristotle talked about when he mentions the four causes or. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very, you know, I mean. I thought that no, might throw you for a loop. Yeah, that's like, good. That's good because you're. I'm going to say something probably rubbish now, which is good. Uh, um, not everything I say is rubbish, but uh, you know the the thing about analytic philosophers in general is they don't generally analyze cultural artifacts. So yeah, right. um, now, and, and I'm sure someone will. I want to be proven wrong, and I know there's some like Richard Rorty is a good example of somebody who would, and there's others, and. Uh, uh, there's a few, there's a guy who's a Heideggerian anyway, but, but often, you know, a philosopher, an analytic philosopher, I just, I just, just doesn't, just doesn't analyze, say, cultural artifacts. So I don't yeah. know what they would say okay. about the Barbie thing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. That's a very funny response to so just be like, they would never touch this. Yes. <laughs> They, uh, they don't yeah. do what we do. So Yes, yes. Where we just and they, and they would like that. They'd be like, The handcuffs yes, are like the, the, the yeah. trapped feeling that she has. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> well, they, see, they would own. say about me, they would say about me, you know, oh, listen, that's just literary theory or something. So they'd be like, yeah, yeah, philosophy does more serious things. But I think this is very serious. And and on that last scene, you know, I like that's a beautiful series because like, because this is a beautiful difference between sublimation and um, and uh, you know an an idealization. So to idealize somebody, which is kind of courtly love, is to make them almost non-sexual. That's kind of what the beginning of Barbie Land is. Is like they're just you idealize somebody, and they are the perfection. And um, to sublimate somebody is to see within their humanity something that that stands in the place of the sublime. Um, so Alanka Sapanchic. Uh, she gave the perfect answer to if someone says, why do you love me? She gave the perfect philosophical answer, uh, which is because you remind me of you. And uh, what Sapanchich means is in love, the concrete fleshly kind of person and all of their defects and all of their everydayness coincides with them as a type of instantiation of your deepest desires. Like they both... The you of their flesh and the you of their uh, uh, their sublimation of your fantasies and your desires coincide, um, because if it's one, if if they're just the they're just the idealization, then you can never get close to them or your desire will dissipate because they can never live up to it. And if they're just the normal person like anybody else, that's not love either. There's this coincidence of the two, and and again in Barbie. At the beginning, it's, it's kind of like idealization of Barbie. And when she goes into the gynecologist, it's kind of going like, you know, she's still she, she's beautiful and she's whatever, but she's like 
she's human. There's a there's a kind of sense in which, um, and and again, it doesn't go into this. But if the movie kept going, it would be like, okay, what is a, what do Ken and Barbie look like, as two human beings? You know. Yeah. Um, the um, it's like the person. The I love that because it's remind it reminds me of you. It, it's like the person takes part in the platonic ideal of the person. See, there's a philosophy. That's a philosophy. Yes. Oh, and I, yeah, you know what? As soon as you said that, I was going like, maybe an analytic philosopher would do that. That's yeah, good. That's and that's analytic, a good yeah. comment. Yeah, but that's a great, yeah, it's an interesting comment. Thank the you. platonic I'll ideal. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, looking also at the, um, the, it does follow, she follows kind of the archetypal pattern of the feminine with the virginal beauty that is untouchable. And then she eventually lands at sort of the maiden, but she does so by having contact with the crone, who is the older woman, uh, and that is like the inventor that's trapped away. So she goes through, uh, you see the phases of the femininity. Here, so talk to, tell me too. where, because that's a very Jungian thing, and I, I know less about that, but that's interesting to me, those, those archetypes. Talk you to know me about the that. moon, you know the moon? I've heard of it. Phases of, yeah, it's um well, it's a satellite. It's hollow, but they um, <laughs> shine different lights on it at different times, and it shows the different um you know the new moon and the the full moon. The full moon, I think, is supposed to be. I think that's where it comes from. But yeah, there's the Virgin, and then there is the Core, the Core goddess, uh, which is the kind of um I think the Core is somewhere in between the the Virgin and the Maiden. A Maiden would be closer, or no, I think. I think Corey is the maiden, but that's when you get into like Artemis. So like Artemis was sort of like a strong woman who didn't need anyone. And she lived in the woods and did her own thing. Uh, and then you have the crone who, or the, the loving mother. And so then you have those, they're two sided, double sided. And then the crone, the maiden is also double sided. And then the virgin is double sided. Uh, Cause they're all supposedly bipolar, I think, but yeah, there's just three uh, different uh, phases. And then you see that in the moon. So the idea is the, the moon is associated with femininity and you can see the kind of changing face of femininity throughout the month. Yes. And well, then once know, a month yeah. you go through the, re, you go through the period and the, you know, there's a rebirth process. Well, you know, th this, this touches on what we talked about at the very beginning. I mentioned and said, we wouldn't talk about, but it's, it is a good point to bring up in light of what you said is like, when I said that hysteria and obsession potentially has some biological dimension, although it's divorced from it, one can make the argument that to be a woman is to experience very much changes in your body all the time, and including changes from being, you know, in, in pregnancy mm -hmm. and, and also in terms of like uh, uh, menstrual cycles. And so there's, there's, to, to be female is to inhabit a body that, you know, you're very aware of and are very aware of changing. Whereas a male is often like you kind of, everything's pretty much the same, <laughs> right? From, it's a you know, dumb block and you're going to stay a dumb block for the rest of your life. Yeah, until you die. And, you know, he, yeah. so even when it, whenever, you know, you have a child, whenever you don't have a child, like the woman is, their body mm -hmm. is changing and they're changing. And so you could say the reason why one of the reasons why kind of a certain form of neurosis seems to be more prevalent in women is because to be a woman is to experience yourself as changing, always changing. And, yeah. and to be yes, a man is to, yeah, to be a man's kind of, that's why you kind of say that, that, uh, uh, a woman often feels like, or the feminine often feels like they, they are 
curators of their femininity or they are custodians of their femininity that they experience it as something that they they hold that they can change that they can play with um whereas a man pretends that he's a man pretends to himself so it's it a man doesn't feel his masculinity as something that he holds and that he changes so it's again very common if you see uh what men wear often is the same thing. And actually, if a man changes his outfit very dramatically, often his friends will laugh. You know, which is like, you know, yeah. like if you, you know, you oh, you're wearing a hat now, right? You're a hat man, right. you know. Um, so that's that's where I think that there's interesting connections between the bodies we inhabit, the, yeah. the and 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 how that in, impacts how we encounter and experience the world. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? And that's why, by the way, the, the, the feminist, the kind of Lacanian feminist idea is that, that hysteria is closer to the truth. It's going like that, that experience that the feminine body yeah. has is actually the truth of everybody. Um, but it's a, it's a truth that is sometimes harder for the obsessive to touch. Is it, was it, uh, Lacan said something like, a woman is a man who knows she's a man? Um, or a man is a man who doesn't know he's a woman or something. It's some kind of weird turn of the phrase. And I was like, I, I'm sure it's not, um, wouldn't be smiled upon by a lot of folks these days, but it's some a thing about the sort of embracing of the lack that men don't do. And so women just, they have a lack and they know it. And men have, yes. don't have a lack and they don't know it, or they pretend to not know it. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And there's yeah, yeah, that you're hitting on, I can't remember the exact way you might've said it well, but, and another one that's similar to that is woman does not exist. And you're like, what was, what was, what does he mean by woman does not exist? But in the sense of going like femininity is, it's kind of this performative dimension. Um, where, so it's almost like you could say like man is, is stupid enough to think that he exists. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, so yeah. that's, that's why the whole thing of male ego is an interest is like fragile ego. They talk about in popular whatever, but, but it's kind yeah. of, there's a truth to it. I mentioned in that, in that, uh, that a man almost has to think that he's a man or he has to play. And so if you pierce that, it's very traumatic for the, for the man, you know? Um, in fact, you could, you could see this in Barbie to some extent, because one of the things about Ken, which is interesting whenever it becomes Kendom, is the power of, of man is experienced. It, the truth is it's not power, it's, it's weakness. There's a, you know, he, he's actually um, hi, hiding from himself his desire for Barbie and all of that. So piercing, piercing the masculinity is kind of like uh, painful because it is just a guise, but it's, it's, a, it's a guise that the male um, doesn't know is a guy's it's a mask the male doesn't know is a mask I don't know if that makes sense but um, yeah that was the part too where I was the most bored um, or maybe the only part was a little bored I should say because at least with Gosling because I love him throughout the movie so much but when he was in that kind of kingdom state mm -hmm. it was like I was like eh, this is kind of like I'm excited for the plot to keep keep moving past this and they did and the pacing of the movie's great but um, yeah. yeah it's interesting yeah, yeah. It's like Nietzsche, Nietzsche had an interesting thought. I mean, it's kind of controversial thought, or, or maybe not. But he, um, and I'm going to simplify or whatever. But he did. He said that um, men are afraid of equality with women because 
they know that they're not equal to women, right? That he goes like, in a, in a society of equality, women are going to run rings around men. So the, the, so, so misogyny yeah. is actually a fear of the power of women. And there's a really famous quote of Nietzsche where he said, when you go to see a woman, remember the whip. And how that's taken is it's taken as a misogynist thing of like, when you go to see a woman, you better tame her, right? But then there's this famous photograph of Nietzsche and another philosopher, Paul Klee, and Lou Salumi is they're both attached like horses to a cart, and Lou Salumi is behind them with a whip. And so actually when you see this picture, which is this really famous, it's a really cool picture, you go like, oh no, Nietzsche's saying the opposite. He's saying when you go to a woman, remember that she has that power, right? So, yeah, nice. and, and at least and I, when I watched Barbie, I was reminded of that quote of Nietzsche's, which is because you see that the power of Ken and the kingdom is actually a fear of, and a kind of a response, a negative symptomatic response to the power yeah. of Barbie and how, you know, he never got recognition from her and that power. So yeah, the misogyny yeah. in a sense is this disguised form of fear. I mean, and that's the, that's why I say this is where it gets messy because th that gets into sexual politics, and that's a big topic. But I did think of Nietzsche. Oh. I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree. I'm just throwing it out there. I think all of your thoughts, Pete, are great. I think it's good that I have I'm here to correct with the correct thoughts. Like I compensate yes. for so between the two of us, we'll both be wrong. But um, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to hold the pole of correctness and and. Um, you know uh levity as well that's what i bring to the yes the table um this has been really fun i don't know if there's anything else that i have i certainly love the movie i highly recommend people see it in the theaters it just came out this weekend just kidding but uh, i will be watching it again and um i thought this was a really nice educational and interesting episode pete what do you, what did you think about it Yes, this is edutainment at its finest, right? Nice. I yes, I actually got I got a couple of compliments in Belfast recently, which was really nice because I go, does anybody listen or ever? And a couple of people, one a good friend of mine, two of them are good friends of mine, who said, one is they really enjoy the fundamentalists, two is they miss us, but number three is that they really like the meaty ones and they really enjoy the Noam Chomsky Foucault one, and they're like, you and Elliot you know, chat away, go as deep into theory as possible because that's the Great. fun bit. Although they did have advice, which is they really liked the Foucault-Chomsky one because we were doing something very specific. And I think we did the same thing with the Barbie movie. So it's like Great. whenever we have like an article or a movie or a song and they go like, and then we hang everything on that. So I thought that's a good idea, but it was lovely Great. to get people. So people do like us when we go a bit deep. I mean, maybe some people okay. don't, but I think that's what they come for. <laughs> I hope that's what they come for. Um, when we go too deep, you hope they come when yeah. we go too deep. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's thanks, good everybody. analytic hearing. Yeah. Found it. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you so much. And I agree with what you're saying. Is there any final thoughts, Pete, or is that it? No, I'm good that? with that. That was wonderful. It was lovely to see I, you again. I can't wait to kind of hang out in person, Elliot. I'm missing you deeply, mate. Same, you know, same so, man. It'll happen yeah. very soon. It has to. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. Me um, too. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.